Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, what a stressful night last night at the old ballpark, huh? Was it pretty, it was pretty intense, the ninth inning? Well, it's just, it's very bizarre. You know, last night was strange in as much as everybody's really excited about a trade, but seldom do trades happen at the same ballpark while people are doing batting practice. <laughs> so between that and then just the like, oh, wouldn't it be ironic if we traded away one of our players and then he hit a two-run home run with no outs in the ninth and almost brought the game back and we imploded <laughs> yeah. fairly recently doing this. Yeah, so it's it one of those, yeah, a little bit of drama and, you know, West Coast games tend to be tiring because they start so late. Yeah. But did you watch the whole thing? I kept an eye on it over my phone. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Astros getting some pitching. Thank goodness. Mm hmm. But I think it's not the last move. Right. No, we shall see. So race to the playoffs now. And, and they're still first in their division, right? Yeah, they're, I think, six games up on the A's right now. So they're Excellent. they're doing well, but they, they've, they're they streaky. You know, they've got to figure a few things out. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, you don't have to get the ball talk out of the way because that's obviously something that I've been bringing up every time. So hopefully everyone appreciates it. Uh, it keeps me up to date and, and I get some good insight. But with that said, moving on to drilling fluids, Matt, this was something that I had brought up and, you know, recently, again, drilling out in West Texas, typically intermediate sections are drilling with a brine. And for the most part, things go pr quite smoothly. And, but, you know, but there's, you know, when you drill in mother nature, it will tend to sometimes throw some curveballs at you. So you have to be ready to adapt and come up with some solutions. And so, you know, a vague scenario, don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but it, I thought it made for a good episode is, okay, you're drilling with a brine. And then all of a sudden, due to some well work conditions, you need to mud up. So, of course, everyone on location is a mud engineer. And so they have their idea of what the proper approach is. Then the office huddles up and then the account managers get involved. And then, you know, there's a bunch of people that know exactly what to do. But then it's like, well, OK, what's the most cost effective? What, what do we need to consider? What, what are, What's the objective? What's the goal? What's the trade offs for doing X, Y, Z? So I thought it'd be good just to kind of walk through, you know, different options, maybe some benefits of each, kind of leaving aside the economics, although that typically is what drives it, but more from a technical perspective, what's the advantage of disadvantage and maybe what's the most convenient and, you know, there's these things that we can kind of walk through. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, these thought exercises, I think, are are useful for just kind of trying to work your way through all right, we've talked about five different products in five different episodes, but how would I how would I choose, you know, and pick one? We know that's an infinitely long set of options in in many ways. Right. Yeah, and and that's too. I mean, a lot of times it's not one of those where you have a day to kind of huddle up and go back and forth. It's kind of you need to on the fly say, "Okay, here's what's happening. We need to mud up. How do we do it?" And oftentimes, you know, you get an operator who will just leave it up to the mud company to say, "Okay, just you know, mud up and, and, you know, let us know when the mud's in shape. But then you have other times where, you know, operators like to have a little bit more control and have some input. And, and a lot of times 
there's good reason for it. But then you just kind of have these conflicting ideas, right? And so there's so many different ways to skin a cat. So, but anyway, I mean, again, let, let's get, kick things off. So again, drilling with Brian, need a mud up. Matt. So we're, we're mudding up. And yeah. so we would assume there's some kind of a whole problem. Yeah. Um, we so, say wellbore collapse, perhaps. Yeah. Or? There's, you're starting to see some stuff come across the, the, the shakers. Maybe the connections are getting tight. So you're, you're starting to see some wellbore conditions that indicate things are starting to fall apart and we need some more body to the fluid, perhaps some fluid loss to hold things back and to give us just some more inhibition to, to go about our business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. It, it's sort of interesting because it's like, okay, well, we're, we're in a time set of circumstances, right? So we can start kind of thinking that through, but, you know, I guess what's on hand? What, what do we have available? So what would be like a typical set of options of product that might be sitting around at the rig that would be in, in the toolkit under this scenario? Exactly. And then when you're on brine, especially if you're bacheloring, you typically don't have too, too much out there. And you might, I mean, just every, every location is going to be different, but you're, you know, you're typically going to have your, your limes, your caustics, you know, maybe a little bit of starch, salt gel, if you're drilling with brine, perhaps some xanthan gum, you may have some pack just in case, you know, a scenario where you do need to mud up and lower the fluid loss. And then, you know, nine out of 10 times, you're going to have some, just some good old gel on location. So that would be some, some, t- and then some LCMs. And I'm sure there's lots of other products, but those, those are the kind of the staple products that you're going to have on location during a brine section. And so, yeah, again, the first thing is, well, what do we have on hand? You, you may have a ton of this, but not a ton of that. And then cost, right? Because it's, you know, and when you're on brine, you're really, you're not spending that much money. You're trying to get to the casing point for as cheap as possible, get casing the ground, which nine out of 10 times you can do that. But there's different options. And so, Matt, you perhaps from a, let's go with the most basic. Like if, if someone came and said, hey, let's, let's mud up this brine, what would be like the most basic kind of go-to in your opinion that you would, assuming you had all the products on location? I mean, my first go-to would probably just be xanthan gum and starch. And I would say basic might not be the right word because some people say, well, that's actually quite a bit more elaborate than some salt gel or something like that. But yeah, my argument for it is one, I'm, I'm assuming you're in saturated brine or near saturation. Correct. So xanthan will yield. So it'll get you some of that body quickly. It doesn't take a lot of it. I think most people are turned off because they look at individual sack price, but you don't need to throw that many sacks in, you know, to get some properties. And so I think from that perspective, you know, and starch is a little bit of a pain to mix, but if, if I'm in a hurry because I have whole problems and I want to get something put together quickly, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's probably not a bad way to go. Mm-hmm. And so I consider that sort of my, my first plan. But then because you might get some of that pushback, we, we might consider other alternatives, if you will. Right. Um, and you've, you've already mentioned a few of those. So, you know, I, you'd mentioned bentonite being around and I think, you know, there, I just wonder how much time do you have just by way of, if we're near saturation or at saturation, you know, getting seawater to hydrate, which has chlorides about 35,000 milligrams per liter takes at least a day. <laughs> right. Um, so I just don't know if you're ever going to get You'll get something, but it's probably going to take a lot of gel, and it's probably not going to be what you wanted, and you're probably not going to have very good fluid loss. Right. Um, and then you could argue, well, I could put other things in to supplement fluid loss and that sort of thing. And I'm just generally under the impression that that would take a lot of effort, 
and more gel than you think it will for results you didn't want to have. You know, I think I think sometimes you'd have gel out there just because they're like, well, I can yield it in fresh water and pump it as a sweeper. Yeah. Something like that, but it's not really intended to be part of the mud system, nor is it probably there in a quantity where it would even work. Right. So I kind of I don't want to say I rule that one out, but that would sort of be my my least favorite. Yeah. But you know, going back to the salt gel, we hear a lot of folks bring that one up. And I mean, you use you've used salt gel on a number of locations, but mostly for sweeps, right? Yeah, I mean, you typically don't build a full mud system out of salt gel. And again, there's probably argument to be had, but I just, through my experience, it's not something that uh, has been used to, you know, like you would be building a full mud up with like a 35 to 40 vis and like a, you know, 12 fluid loss. You typically wouldn't use salt gel. Right, and and that's an important thing to think about is because salt gel is kind of like a needle-shaped clay, it, it doesn't actually give you any fluid loss. You need something else if you want to have fluid loss control. Mm. And then I think the other thing is just it going back to how much it takes. And I know the rigs are better than when I dealt with salt gel and especially some of the trashy rigs I worked on when it, when it was around, <laughs> yeah. but it took a long time to get it sheared up. And so that's the other thing is where I'm looking, I'm like, okay, I'm having whole problems, that sort of thing. I would imagine it would take a fair amount of it. And then, you know, I would want to throw in something else to tighten up the fluid loss. Right. And so, you know, that would probably be some kind of starch, right? Yeah. If, assuming you got it on hand. And so, it, it, but it's sort of interesting just because we do see a lot of folks out in West Texas are very committed to salt gel. That's what they want to use. But my goodness, I know the sack price of xanthan isn't cheap, but it's just so easy and it works so much faster. Yeah. So that's, I, I don't know, that's that's sort of where I'd. I'd rank them. Right. What was your gut? Kind of when this type of scenario comes up, Where what would your yeah, choice be? It, it, right away, I, I lean towards xanthan gum. And, and one of the arguments, so xanthan gum, then either starch or even just a little bit of a pack LV or a low viscosity pack, depending on where they want the fluid loss. If they just want a little bit of fluid loss, then I don't know if it's necessary to go full blown with the pack. Because again, from a cost perspective, it doesn't quite make much sense. And is it just to, to kind of heal things up to get casing in the ground or are you going to be drilling on mud for a while? So there's obviously things to consider there. But I'm with you that xanthan and some starch is where, you know, my first inkling would be. Matt, I'm curious on on your thoughts on that with, with pack. I mean, does it make sense to, you know, if you've got both on location and cost, you know, with the amount of starch you have to add versus, say, a few sacks of pack? I mean, what would benefits be with, with adding a pack versus a starch? Or is it kind of at that point marginal difference or... I mean, one, it, uh, you know, salinity tolerance is is something. If it's you know one of your really basic starches, it's probably not gonna not gonna tighten up your fluid loss in a saturated brine. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that's part of it is what gets me properties as quickly as possible. And kind of circling back to you know not only pilot testing for yourself, but if there's other other you know mud engineers in training or so they perceive themselves to be you could actually put some of this stuff together really quick and show the data and be like, look, this product doesn't doesn't do what we think it's going to do. And I don't want to mix 500 barrels of it yeah, and deal with the fact we can't get properties. Right. So I think, I think that's part of it. I mean, there is an argument to be made, and I think it's why I feel like we're sort of tiptoeing around some of this is there's going to be somebody out there who could say, I can, I've done exactly what you say is not possible right. that one time. And, and, the argument is what is the most efficient, both, you know, time is money, product sacks are money. So what is the most efficient? What is the most practical? 
And then the other part of it is, you know, if I only have salt gel and pack out there, I'm probably not talking about xanthan. Or if I don't have enough xanthan, I'm probably going right. to start mixing and matching because my rig cost is way higher than any of any of these products I'm adding. And I just want to get the hole tightened up. And, and maybe if I need some viscosity to circulate out some cavings, for example, my, you know, yeah. things along those lines, I want to I want to tighten everything up and get this well done. So it may be, a, you know, a good mud engineer is going to beg, borrow, and steal and come yeah. up with some sort of half a pound of this, half a pound of this, three pounds of this. And it's right. like, well, yeah, if, if I was ordering a loadout from the warehouse, I certainly wouldn't have mixed this up this way. But yeah, this is what you gave me and we're going to make it work. Right. You know? So w- something we hadn't really talked about, and, and I'm again, there's, I think it's something to consider is, you know, with having, obviously in, the, in this scenario, you're going to have soda ash on location typically to control your, your calcium. Mm-hmm. How does that play a part in, in what we're doing here uh, along with pH? And I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of asking a rhetorical question, but maybe if someone is listening is like, hey, you didn't even mention that. No, that's a good point. So, uh, for example, you know, keeping your pH up for corrosion mitigation, right? So keeping it above nine, mm-hmm. but then tying that back into things like, you know, xanthan gum, it'll yield at seven, but it really likes, you know, that nine to 10 neighborhood. And then on the on the hardness side of things, some of these things simply won't yield if, you know, xanthan gum won't yield. I don't think gel is going to yield anyways, but it's certainly, you know, when you've got high hardness, that's going to be a problem too. So soda ash is going to be worthwhile there. Yeah. So, and it could even be if you're, you know, raising up your pH with lime or something while you're introducing calcium, how does that affect uh, these other products? Right. So I think it's what's sort of interesting. This is a very, very basic exercise, but it's something that comes up and your mud manual will tell you conceptually how these things all are. But when you're on the rig, you're going to be trying to figure out what's there, how it's going to work yeah, and how how these products are going to work together. Cause it may not be, Oh, I just add two pounds per barrel of this and right. it's fixed. It's like, no, I'm, I'm responding to a problem and I need to be resourceful. We're at the end of an interval. I'm not calling out another truck. Right. Like, let's just get it done with what we've got. Yeah, no, and, and and it makes a difference too with what you have on location. If it's the first intermediate section in the pad, or if it's the last one. I mean, if it's the last intermediate section and you're ready to go to old base or a cut brine, well, if you're going to a cut brine, you probably have similar products on location. But hypothetically speaking, if if or even if you're going to cut brine, you got these products. I mean, everyone's like, okay, let's just get all this water based stuff out of the way. Let's get ready for oil base. And yeah, you may only have a handful of products, and you're going to be mixing and matching, and and you know, making up some recipe that you just hope works. Which I guess it kind of leads me to my next question, Matt. It, we've kind of mentioned what you could do, mm-hmm. but what are some of the absolute no nos in this situation? You're like, by all means, do not try this because you'll either, you know, get egg on your face, or it just it technically will not work. I mean, I think it goes back to sort of what you think the problem is. But for example, you know, I would think in in a, you know, a saturated system like that, once again, you know, people really like salt gel and they see that it makes things thick, but it doesn't do anything for fluid loss. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I've seen that mistake repeated a number of times. Right. I think gel, you know, if you hydrate it in water and kind of bled it into the system, something like that, you... Make a little something, but if you're trying to stay saturated, you're introducing water, right? You're you're effectively cutting down the chlorides back to where the gel is happy. Right. So, I, I mean, just I think sort of thinking through even it does my end around possibly introduce more risk or do more harm than good. Yeah. And then, I mean, otherwise, like 
if you're just not sure, I mean, that's what's great about just poor boy and a little pilot test is put these things together. You can run an API filter press. It's cheap and simple and there's way less cleaning. Yeah. So, you know, and, and just make sure you've got some idea that whatever permutation and combination of things you've got lines up with your makeup fluid and works. Yeah. No, um, that's true. Yeah. Well, actually, another sort of benefit that that I see going with the sort of the Xanthan starch combination or Xanthan pack, if you really want to get fancy with it, is sort of the options afterwards. It's one thing to get a little vis and then just kind of get through your that immediate problem and then hopefully everything is good. But, you know, let's say you, 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 you mud up a little bit and then all of a sudden you start taking gas. Well, then you got to mud up a pound or all of a sudden you need to start adding LCM if you were to just go sort of the quick and dirty and cheap route, you may not have the properties required to then build on that particular system. Yeah, and that's a good point is what am I going to do with this when we're when we're done? You know, we get we get our casing to bottom cement. I'm taking returns and it's like, all right, well, I don't really need this salt gel concoction anymore. Like, like yeah. what next versus... You know, if you're going to drill out with a cut brine system or whatever, you know, you can bleed this stuff back, you can break it over, you know, it's better use of all the products than just one and done, get the casing down to bottom and then figure out what to do with everything that's left over that I have no practical use for. Right. So that's a really good point. Yeah. So Matt, I mean, that's really all the the questions I had. It it wasn't anything elaborate today, but just a, you know, just scenarios that happened out on the rig. And I think folks have gone through this time and time again. So perhaps it was interesting for, for some people to, to hear our perspectives or to at least sort of confirm, you know, perhaps a mud engineer's thought process to say, oh, okay, cool. Well, that's typically what I would do. So that gives me a little bit more confidence going, you know, approaching this type of situation. And it's basic, but I mean, with things getting busier now, there's probably mud engineers that are coming on board with, you know, different companies that may not have lots of experience. And so these little scenarios, I think are great just to chat through and and give people some sort of thought as to, you know, maybe different angles or different considerations that otherwise they wouldn't have heard of. Yeah, agreed. And it's one thing when we talk about a product and how it's generally used. I think it's another where you present a problem and say, here's how or why I would use it. Sure. You know, to solve that problem, which is really the goal, right? So, yeah, exactly. And with that said, again, folks, if you have any questions or, you know, you just want to add some some context or add some good information to the to the conversation today, we're always open to chat. You can hit us up on LinkedIn or you can send us an email at the flowline podcast at aesflues.com. And please like, share, and, you know, if you could leave a review, we've got tons of downloads now, but please keep the reviews coming in. That gives us a great frame of kind of some reference as to how well we're doing and appreciate everyone's support. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.